Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. I am so glad to be with you uh, this week and talking a little bit about mental health. It's May, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And like most of you, we have been in this pandemic for over a year now, and uh, we've all faced different challenges um, in every area of our life. You know, I would definitely say we have all been through a collective trauma in some sense, in a very real sense, right? Um, And some of us might be experiencing the post-traumatic stress of that. And we're all kind of dealing with the stress of the pandemic in our own ways. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, it's a really cool class I'm taking uh, called Disaster Spiritual Care. And I'm going to talk about a couple points from there that I thought were really applicable and really kind of narrow down, like, this is how pastors and uh, spiritual leaders can be helpful in times of disaster, which I think the pandemic definitely qualifies as one. Uh, But I wanted to start off with a letter that I got um, from Anonymous. And I think that this letter kind of you know, summarizes, it summarized some of my feelings. Um, I'm sure it summarized some of your feelings, um, but I want to read it and then kind of give some comment on it. And if you guys have any uh, letters like this that you want to send in, please do. I think it could be a fun little check-in topic, um, kind of just filling this out. And, uh, you know, I think we're all going through an experience and we have questions and I definitely want to invite you to like bring your questions uh, so that we can find answers. Um, and hopefully I'll find people more qualified than myself to, to give you answers in the future. But this is what it says. This is what Anonymous writes. It says, hi, I, like most everyone else, began the pandemic optimistic that my time off would be relatively short and all would return to normal soon. I was wrong. Because of the many changes COVID has brought, I have begun going to therapy because my mental health began to decline due to financial issues and being in community less and less. A few months in, I began feeling anxiety and experiencing bouts of depression where either I couldn't find the energy to do normal things I have always loved to do, or my productivity would be so low because I lacked the ability to concentrate. I would consider myself a pretty good Bible student and used to spend time very regularly in devotion. Lately, however, I have been feeling less and less motivated to set aside these times, and my relationship with God does not feel as vibrant as it used to. During my sessions in therapy, I began exploring my relationship with my church, not by her prompting, but by my own. And as I am processing, I realize that I don't particularly miss church. I do, and then I don't. I don't miss it because I hate pretending I want to interact with people that I don't. I do miss it because I enjoy the moments of community and worship that nourish my faith. I'm also coming to term with some toxic elements in my relationship to some people at church and even some beliefs that I have held in secret because they don't align with my community. I'm not sure how to navigate whether or not I want to return to church if and when that becomes an option again. I feel torn in my relationship and not sure how to navigate a way forward in my own healing journey while regularly being in community with people who I regard as good people, but hold the same off beliefs. I don't like the idea of never attending a church again or throwing away my personal relationship with God. I just realize I don't like his followers all that much, and I feel like if I were to truly be myself, they wouldn't like me either. 
I know this sounds really pessimistic, but was wondering if you've ever felt this way and not really looking for you to have all the answers, but hoping you could just share some of your experience. And I thought this was a very um, interesting letter, a lot of things that we can unpack here because I think that it talks, there's a lot of things that are going on here, right? That's dealing with mental health. I think during this pandemic, we've all had time and moment to reflect on our participation in communities that we no longer participate in, right? Or had limited experience in participating in. And some people have been going back to church and worshiping, you know, with six feet apart and their masks. And some people have just continued to do the online journey, right? And why do people choose one or the other? Um, there's a variety of reasons, right? But I want to kind of get into a couple things. First, I just want to say yes. Yes to therapy. Uh, yes to, uh, you know, recognizing that you're going through anxiety or going through about uh, with mental health and and really dealing with mental injury, right? I, I don't like the term mental illness, it makes it sound like you're sick in the head, right? Like, and that just has a really bad connotation. But the idea of mental injury, that something happened to you, that it's not your fault, it takes the onus off of the person. Uh, and I know that illness is never really a per it's never a person's fault, but I think that sometimes we view mental illness in that sense of like they have bad character, right? And again, we're dealing with the fact that something happened to you, a pandemic, right? Um, and you are not managing that well. And that's perfectly okay. Um, I just want to say like affirm that decision uh, to say I'm putting my mental health as a priority. I am investing in that part of my life. Uh, I see the ways that I am declining in my productivity and I want to put in the work to get better. And so just kudos to that. I think therapy is so helpful. Um, everybody should should be in therapy uh, pretty regularly, you know, even if it's once a month. I think it's really, really good. Um, and if you can't afford therapy, journaling is always a great outlet, but just some place to really process, right? I think there are some things, especially in the community of faith, and this is something that I love about therapy, is that it's confidential, right? Um, and it's supposed to be a non-judgment space. And it's kind of become like maybe what the confessionals of the Catholic Church, I think that the appeal of that is confidentiality, right? And I think if you have a journal, you know that nobody is going to read it, hopefully, um, and that you can totally say and all the things that are messy to say, all the things that we judge ourselves for, for saying, right? Sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to be angry. We don't give ourselves permission to be, uh, you know, not the perfect Christian and to have the range of emotions that we have. And, you know, a journal definitely allows us to do that. Therapy allows us to do that. And in a way that's not judgmental, um, so that we can actually get down to the root of what's going on. And for me, like I have, I've sat and I've vented into my journal and I think, I hope nobody ever like accidentally reads this because they would think I'm a horrible person. Uh, a lot of things that I say in my journal, I'd never say in real life. And also by the end of the journal, I'm usually feeling better and thinking more positively about whatever the situation was. I just needed to get it off my chest and continue forward. Now, 
I'm going to take a little caveat because, again, stressing the importance of having a place to process is, for me, I've kind of likened it to, I feel like I have been stung with by a viper. Um, or maybe that I am a viper. And I'm going to get into this. I know it sounds weird. But that my mouth, my tongue has the ability to spew out so much poison, right? And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's uh, the Psalms, they talk about this, that the, that the poison of vipers is under their tongues, right? He's talking about the way that people speak, that it's, it has this, you know, vituperous ability to just poison somebody and kill them in some ways. And we can kill people with our words, right? We can crush their spirits. We can direct them away from God. We can undermine their self-esteem. And I realize that I have to be milked like a viper, right? Where you take the time and you let the poison come out and then you put him back and he's harmless, right? For a period of time, but he needs the poison to come out or she needs the poison to come out regularly if you're going to domesticate this viper, right? Not recommending anyone to domesticate vipers, but in some ways I'm a domesticated viper. Um, I, I feel like I have experienced um, a certain amount of verbal abuse in my life and the way that I talk to myself is sometimes verbally abusive. And I feel like I have to, you know, spill that poison out onto the page of a journal so that I can come away with new words, better words, uh, you know, and also reason with that voice. I think when it's on paper, I have a better grasp at being able to rebuttal myself or to rebut that perspective. And so anyway, just, just that caveat on we really do need places to process. And if we find ourselves thinking and saying things that don't seem perfectly Christian, like it's okay. Like that's a part of the healing journey. Um, there's a lot of repression <laughs> that sometimes happens in spiritual spaces, right? And I think we have an idea of the things that we should say and shouldn't say. And I just want to affirm, like, it's okay uh, to speak absolutely what you think. And then go back and reason with that voice and say, like, you know, what's another perspective on this? Or maybe that voice is very valid and you get to affirm, actually, you know, me calling this person a toxic person really is the absolute right thing to do and I do need to cut ties. Like, so it's such a sacred space to figure out what's going on in your own mind. And if you're not doing that work, nobody else is doing that work for us, right? So that's just kind of like kudos uh, to this letter. And I also wanted to talk on, um, you know, this falling off from the Bible study and devotions, right? And I kind of just want to normalize the, like the ebbs and the flows of our relationship with God. Sometimes we put the pressure upon ourselves to not allow the seasons of life to happen to us. And something that I have learned living in Michigan and living in snowy weather, 
and almost having the expectation, um, you know, that no matter if it's storm, like snow has to be really bad in Michigan for something to shut down. But it's like, if it's like, if the snow is just piled on the street, like you, you have to drive through that. It doesn't matter if you have a Toyota Yaris, like you are, you need to go to work. You have to go to class. Like there's still this expectation of normalcy, even though everything is crazy and chaotic and in any other state, this would be shut down by now. Right. And I think that sometimes we expect of ourselves that type of regularity in storms when maybe sometimes the safest thing to do is to stay inside, right? Uh, Maybe it's okay to allow ourselves to commune with God and to experience him in other ways, that our relationship with him is not just heady. I heard the word and so now I, like, now it's true, right? We communicate with him in prayer. We communicate with him when we are in relationship with one another and ministering to other people, right? Um, Like there are ways that that people have spoken into my life and I'm like, that's the voice of God. Or being out in nature and hearing the birds and being like, this is God's creation, right? And I think that there are ways that we communicate with him. Even when we're not at our best, the last thing we need is more judgment, for not being at our best, right? Uh, is more self-condemnation and self-criticism of like, I should be here right now. It's like, put your hand over your chest and say, it's okay that I'm not doing Bible study every day. It's okay. And that the our salvation is not on the line, right? To t- kind of take the catastrophic consequences of not being able to show up as our full selves sometimes and to allow ourselves to be weak. It's, it's, we have to move into a space of recognizing that we are weak people and it is okay to not operate at our hundred percent. It's okay to be sick. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not have everything together, you know, I'm somebody who I exercise, like I used to exercise like five, six times a week. Um, And right now I'm training for a half marathon. I'm trying my best to stay on top of my health and my exercise, but I'm not at where I used to be. And I've had to maybe set a goal for myself to say, okay, I'm going to work out three times this week at least and forgive myself for the days that I fall short for not being able to get the mileage in that I was hoping to get in that day. And it's okay to set expectations for ourselves and to be accountable to ourselves, but then also to be very understanding with ourselves when we fall short. You know, how do we learn to be gracious with others if it doesn't start at home? And I understand that Bible study and prayer, these are disciplines. They're, they're kind of like working out. You're not always going to feel like it. You're not going to fall into study time with God. You may not be raptured into a moment where you feel like this is the moment I am opening my Bible. It might happen like that sometimes. But it is a discipline of saying, I'm going to do it because the same reason I would go and jog five miles today. And But to also recognize we're not always in the space where we can show up for ourselves. And when we can't, it's okay. It's completely okay. 
And the last thing we need is more judgment and criticism for ourselves. Okay. So that's kind of dealing with that part. Um, and kind of another part that I, I, I wanted to, to touch on was the fact that um, this person is having kind of a love-hate relationship with the church, right? They miss it, and then they don't miss it, right? And there are elements that they found very nourishing at times and elements that they found toxic. And a part of it, you know, uh, I thought this part really struck me. It says, you know, um, I feel like if I were tr to truly be myself, they wouldn't like me either. I just want to pause because that's such a powerful statement that I think a lot of us can relate to, right? I definitely relate to this, of the fact that, you know, a, a biggest, one of my biggest criticisms about the environment and the milieu of Christianity and our churches is that we may not allow for the diversity that we may think we do, right? Um, and that when there is this kind of culture of how people are to dress when they come to church, uh, the, the kind of the expectation of after you are baptized, this is what your life is going to look like morally. These are the, the values that you're going to ascribe to. These are the tenets of faith that you all ascribe to. And it becomes kind of like this exclusive club of people who are very cut out in a certain way. And when there's that kind of overlying like tenet of like we are gathering together because these are all the ways that we are alike, there's a fear to be different, right? And I I'm sure a lot of you, you know, have a fear of being your true self or saying the things that you wish that you could say for the sake of, or for the fear of losing community, right? For the fear of people looking at you differently, for the fear of people not agreeing with you. And I think that that's something that we need to look at, you know, what are we doing? You know, are we really able to have an impact um, in the larger community if we're not able to accept kind of the rough edges of each other who have already agreed uh, to all these things that we hold in common? So that's just like a, that's like a, you know, I guess a consideration for me individually. Am I creating spaces like that? And also just to kind of to the, to this person, like, I actually don't know the answer to this of whether or not you should enter back into a relationship with this church. Uh, there is some mention of like there being some toxic elements there. I have no idea what that looks like or what that is even about. Um, but I do think that it's a difficult thing to navigate, you know, um, especially when you haven't found a place that feels fully like that's your church, right? Like, and you are, and you love the culture of it and the people are so much like you. And I think that that's what makes us feel us belong is like the, the fact that we are around people that are like us. And I think the differences and the dissimilarities make us uncomfortable and sometimes make us unsafe, right? Especially if people are kind of spewing uh, like toxic beliefs and we have to hear that all the time. Like, I definitely would not want to be in that type of community. And I don't find myself in that community. And I just want to say, like, it's okay, you know, to take a break 
from church, to take a break from spaces that you don't feel 100% like you want to be in. And I say this because I think a lot of the narrative is like, I should be going. And I often hear this, this sentiment of like, you're never going to find a perfect church, you know, so just deal with it, basically. Or, you know, people are different and that's what makes it so difficult, but you just need to go. And I'm not going to tell you to do that, right? Like, I, I, I want to honor people's experience with the communities that they're engaged in. And if they feel this tinge of, like, this is unhealthy or there are things that I don't know if I ascribe to or I don't want to participate in, don't. You know, don't. Um, and there are also elements that you are mentioning like, that you do enjoy, you know, and... I would say build upon that. Like, what are those elements that you enjoy about community? And seeing if you can even start something small, right, with your friends or people that also think very much like you. And creating a safe space, a safe community of faith. And it can be small. It doesn't have to be a church of, you know, 20,000. It can literally be a living room of five people. And that can feel like church. There's so much... Uh, um, maybe more freedom because you're not having to like tailor your comments for the person who might be on the other end of the political spectrum that you know is there, right? And the ways that we try to just blend in, like you can be more you in smaller spaces. And I think that that's like a a definite recommend. Um, But I just want to say I sympathize with like all of the things that are happening um, in this letter. And I thought it was a great letter to really highlight, you know, uh, the things that we're dealing with during this pandemic and, you know, the, the complications that mental health will bring to the table. And I think another part is like depression really does make you not want to interact with people. Right. And let's get rid of the stigma that if you really had faith that you would that, the, you know, that, that, that you wouldn't be dealing with depression. It's not true. You know, we see Bible characters like uh, Elijah, you know, dealing with depression after he had a great high and then he's running from Jezebel and he's like, God, I want to die. You know, just take me. Uh, looking at Samson, I mean, he, he committed suicide, right? Uh, there are these figures in the Bible that are complicated and that mental health is complicated. And to beat ourselves up because we're experiencing Um, you know, the ebbs and flow of like a really real pandemic, something that is incredibly tragic, uh, has cost a lot of lives, a lot of jobs, created a lot of stressors, um, to be okay with the fact that we're not operating at our best selves. I mean, who can? And if you can, and you're doing well this time, like kudos to you. Like I, 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 I don't think that we should be comparing ourselves with where somebody else might be on this journey, but honoring where we are. And it sounds like you're making the steps and taking the steps that you need to take uh, to be in a good mental space. And so I just wanted to like highlight this for Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, Maybe I should give a Surgeon General's warning, like I am not a licensed therapist and this is not actual advice to be taken in a clinical type of way. (laughs) I'm just a, a seminary student who... Uh, is wrestling with a lot of theological issues and my own journey through this pandemic and my own mental health. 
And I just want to bring this conversation to light to normalize it. And I'm sure, you know, uh, you've been in other spaces that have tried to normalize it. And I just want to throw this out there. If anybody has any good book recommends for mental health, please send them my way. I would love to uh, just continue to build my repertoire of resources. Um, But yeah, if you guys have any questions like this that you want to throw in, like I would love to do a podcast kind of just giving you uh, my thoughts, right? Uh, Whatever they're worth. And normalizing conversations like this because I think it's so important. And so one thing I wanted to to talk about just briefly from this disaster spiritual care book, which I'll probably be looking at later on, is to normalize the crisis cycle or the trauma cycle. So the first thing that happens is you have a crisis, um, so something major happens, say a flood happens, right? Uh, then there's the rescue. You're, the flood happens, you're on top of your roof, a boat comes. And then there's the honeymoon phase where you're initially in the boat, you're relieved that you are rescued and you're not going to die. And then there's the disillusionment phase where you are realizing like the grief of the loss. You lost all your family photos. The insurance might not cover this. It's going to take you a long time to repair your life. You're going through grief. Then there's the reconstruction phase. Okay, I'm going to build my life again, right? And I think for us to really understand, and then, yeah, for us to really understand the cycle of trauma and crises uh, so that no matter what stage of it that we're at, we can begin to recognize like this is a cycle, this is a stage, this is a place that I'm going to be in but not forever. If you're in the disillusionment stage where you're going through grief, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be like, this is not the marriage that I expected. This is not the job that I expected. This is not the life that I hoped for. I am in my mid-30s and I thought I'd be somewhere else, right? Like, it's okay to be in that grief. And then in the reconstruction phase, as you're moving forward and trying to find solutions, don't be afraid if you go through this cycle again and again in many crises, right, where you interact with a problem and it sends you down the tailspin of, needing to be rescued. And then you're at the honeymoon phase because you thought you found an answer, but then there's disillusionment again. And then you're trying to reconstruct and build. And and we all go through these cycles of trauma, sometimes very tiny, sometimes very large. So I just wanted to kind of share some of those tidbits about how to process. So thanks so much for listening in. If you have any more uh, letters like this or, or, or topics that you'd like me to tackle, please be sure to write in. Um, I really appreciate all your guys' feedback that you've been giving. It has been very encouraging to me. Uh, Also, I just want to say, you know, a big thanks to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. And if you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to do so at Advent Next. And I will see you next week. (laughs) 